Hey gang, I'm Nikki LaCroce, and you're listening to Who the Fuck? A show that explores the power of human connection and the profound resilience of the human spirit through compassionate conversations that help you better understand yourself so you can live with the sense of peace, purpose, and joy that you deserve. Each episode offers a safe space for guests to share intimate details of their personal journey and lessons learned along the way as we all seek to answer life's most important question. Who the fuck am I? Hey gang, I'm Nikki LaCroce and you're listening to Who the Fuck. And on today's episode, I'm sharing the mic with Becca Ferguson. And Becca is a licensed professional counselor in Northwest Arkansas who prides herself on being a real life human who can help you on your mental wellness journey. And as a result of Becca's passion for teaching, she also offers online courses, group therapy, and does public speaking. And she has tremendous gifts in communication. You went to school for it, as did I. So I I didn't, I don't think I knew that when we originally connected. And so I was just really excited to see somebody else who kind of fell out of the career path of being in communications, but then kind of wrapped their actual career back into it. It's a it's a fun place to be. I think the way the world went was really conducive to us having that opportunity. Um yeah. so welcome to the show, Becca. I'm super excited to have you here. Oh my gosh, this is so exciting. I love being on podcasts, but like I kind of bugged you when I first was like, hey, I want to be on your podcast. And I bugged you again. And I was like, hey, just making sure you know that I want to be on your podcast. So I'm I'm really glad this worked out. Yeah, I'm I'm humbled and honored because we really hit it off in our first conversation. It felt like talking to an old friend. And those moments happen from time to time. And I'm incredibly grateful for it. And it's one of those things where I I think about how many people I've met over the course of my life and how many different places people are from and and types of lives people have lived. And as with most of my guests, you have quite your own elaborate story of coming to be who the fuck you are. And so I'm really excited for us to chat about that today. So let's dive in. I'm going to lead with this because I really love that you're message is you're a real life human being. Like, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I didn't know a better way to describe it. So I was like, yeah, that works. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think what I love about that is it's really, it's a statement that makes you very approachable as a mental health professional. And I know that one of the biggest challenges for a lot of people can be getting to a place where they're comfortable enough and willing to be honest enough with themselves and somebody else to actually get started with some sort of therapy. So could you share a little bit about how you landed where you are as a therapist and how you're typically working with clients today just to get started? Yeah. So um, I swear, like people ask me all the time how I became a therapist and I don't just have one story. Long story short of how I became a therapist is like, this was never in the cards for me. It was never a plan. Um, I actually was like raised in a very like conservative Christian family And, um, so, you know, nice brick house with the two kids and we had a cat for a little bit, you know, kind of grew just going into church and doing all the church things and all that kind of stuff. And so like, basically since I was a small child, like I was going to be a preacher, that's what I was going to do. I was going to be an ordained minister in the Methodist church. But then like I went to college, I was touring colleges and I went to university of the Ozarks in Clarksville. And when I was going on the tour, we went through the radio, television, video um, department. And I just remember walking by all the switchboards and the control room and everything. And I was like, holy shit, this is so cool. I want to press all the buttons. I think and we had the same moment. <laughs> I had a I very similar like, moment in my college. I like, think it was just like, it looked so cool. It looks like so much fun. And then I went to like the religion department and I was like, this is basically just like social studies and I'm good. And so like, I did take an old Testament class and I got by like on the skin of my teeth. Like I really like, I I know my Bible, but I know it through metaphors. I don't know it through like all the other shit. I guarantee so, you know it better than I know mine. And oh, I well. sat through years of um, education to go yeah. through all the sacraments as a Catholic. And mm-hmm. I, whatever I learned was out the door as soon as that test was over. I was like, <laughs> couldn't tell you. But I think that it's interesting that you got to that place where you- yeah. Was it partially seeing the opportunity 
an opportunity that you really hadn't considered before was part of that experience too? Or yeah. had you had interest in um, getting into possibly television or, or film? So I think like when I was in high school, they had like a lot of different like communications type kind of things. Now, like I grew up in a really small town in Arkansas. And so there wasn't a lot of resources out that was out there. But I did take this one class and I think it was like East or something like that. I don't remember what it was, but it was like they had a teleprompter out. And these guys, like they were all like big, you know, <laughs> white guys that were like, we got this. Let me read the teleprompter. And their eyes, like you could just see them like reading the teleprompter. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, this is painful. And so I was like, move, get out the way. And I sat down and <laughs> they're like, OK, Becca, if you really think you can do this. And I did it. And they were like, wow, that was amazing. And I was like, thank you thank you so much I really appreciate that it was just fun stuff I I really enjoyed it but the thing that I enjoyed the most about it was helping people like that's where I really like got into it was mm -hmm. we did like different like uh, um, Obama's second term was when like we did that political like watch party election night oh my gosh i couldn't remember what it was called election night watch night and like so it was informing people of what was going on and then it was like we had like a big storm that rolled through arkansas and like some tornadoes and we did like um a big like watch for that the boston marathon bombing happened while i was in college wow. and so we were like interviewing people with that and um i just loved informing people teaching and then like helping them find peace i love talking to people and helping them find like that um really comfortable space inside of their own body and i, I think that's just like me being goofy like it i think that helps i love the way that you shared how you seized that opportunity to help people yeah because yeah. You know, I think a lot of times, especially with the way people have presence on media today, mm -hmm. it feels very me-centric, for lack of better term. And yes. I think that one of the things that you see a lot of people trying to do when they have a platform is help raise the voices of other people and also raise awareness of issues that people might not otherwise hear about. And so... I think what's really fascinating to me is taking that concept and that desire and that passion to help people and pivoting that into being a mental health care professional. Because I've had conversations with my therapist multiple times about the fact that I feel like in another life, maybe I could have been a mental health care provider, but I just, I, I exist too much in a state of empathy yeah. that it would be unbelievably challenging for me to leave it. Oh yeah. And so I'm curious because it is such a, a challenging role to take on to help people in that way who are going through these emotional situations and knowing that um, a little bit of your background, as you shared with me was, was fairly traumatic for you as well. It's like mm -hmm. you're in a situation where you you've built your practice around the fact that you are a real life human being who has also been through real life shit. Yeah. So like, how do you separate those pieces of yourself um, to be able to be present for the people that you are counseling? So the short answer is that I go to therapy, <laughs> ding, ding, ding. <laughs> but you know, this is a, this is a longer podcast. So I'll just, I'll let you in on it. Um, honestly, I, so the clients that I see are mostly like young adult females that have PTSD. And that's like where I, you know, that's where my personal experience is and where a lot of my, my trauma is, is like in my early young adult life and all that kind of stuff. And so I, I'm able to relate with them on that. But since I do a lot of trauma work, I mean, man, the stuff that I hear I mean, it's a lot. And people ask me all the time, they're like, how do you do that? And I really, honestly, sometimes I don't even think about it. I really don't. And I think that's like the 
the weird part about it is like, I'll go home and I do like I shut down and I'll get into like a little dissociative hole. And like, that's, I'll, I'll like watch my TV shows. I watch like my comfort TV shows. I don't ever watch anything that's like super triggering unless I'm watching it on a weekend when I know it's like, I'm not seeing a client the next day. Like when I watch shiny, happy people on prime, the Duggar. Um, oh no, we watched it. We watched it. I yeah. actually was just talking to another one of my friends who left an evangelical upbringing about yeah. it. So it's yeah. top of mind. <laughs> Yeah, when I when I watched that, like if you follow me on TikTok, then you will see Becca at her worst. Like I was like, I'm like not having it. Um, but it's like I know like not to watch that stuff when I'm about to see clients. Also, I am a really empathetic person. I actually um uh, have you watched a manifest on Netflix? Yet? I haven't, but um I, I'm familiar generally with the concept of you're gonna reference a person. I have no idea. Okay, okay. Well, anyways. One of the guys in there, his like superpower is that he's an empath and like he can take on everything. And I literally watched like the one show, like if you watch Manifest and you know what I'm talking about with this character, this empath, you probably are crying right now. And I'm so sorry. But like <laughs> I watched that and I went to therapy and I was like, I told my therapist, I was like, I know what's wrong with me. <laughs> and she's like, what? And I said, I'm an empath. And she was like, Becca, we knew that. And I'm like, you knew that. I didn't know that. I feel like that's so, like when I yeah. uh, I was in therapy a few weeks ago and my therapist made a comment about how, well, we know that you use humor as a coping mechanism. And I was like, um, you're saying that like we've talked about this together and I feel like you're telling me for the first time that you've recognized this. And not to say I didn't know that, but we've never talked about this. <laughs> I love being a therapist and using we language because then they're like, mm, we did it. And I'm like, but we are. But I mean, being an empath, and working with my clients, like I do, one of the trauma therapies I do is EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization reprocessing. And it's basically like reprocessing a whole traumatic event to where it comes out like positively in your mind, where you know, like, I'm not this bad thing. And so on my couch, <laughs> I have them like, lay backwards and then I sit behind them because it's like basically like they're going up this roller coaster and they're, it's like this sucks this sucks this sucks oh my gosh this is horrible and then all of a sudden they reach like the top of it where they're just like oh my gosh this makes sense and they just start crying and I'm like oh my god they did it like yes they got there and yeah. I'm crying and I'm like this is why you're sitting on the other side of the room for me because like I don't want your healing to be postponed because I'm empathetically crying with you right now yeah I love that you shared that so I've done EMDR and um it was whoo yeah I remember when I came out of the first session um and I said to one of my best friends who's done it that it felt like I got hit by a truck yeah. because it was like, Oh my God, like you don't understand how much your body's actually processing it. Like that's when I first became really keenly aware of like the whole somatic healing process and how mm. everything's really tied to your nervous system. And it's something that I, you know, I've been through a lot of really traumatic experiences with my ex. And so the reason I was saying to you when we started this call that I was really glad we were having this conversation today was because I started kind of going through this cycle last night of thinking about things that I had done, um, like experiences that I had had because I was with this person. They right. were um, dealing with addiction. They were lying to me. They're basically living a double life. And mm -hmm. so I'm like going through the notes in my phone that I have from years ago and just kind of looking at things that I've written to myself. And I'm just like, oh my God, this is so fucked up. It's so triggering. Like I knew, like I knew something was wrong and I knew like I wasn't okay. And it wasn't like, the thing is, is I was doing EMDR for these situations that I was being put in because of this person. And so what's interesting to me about my own experience is that I kind of learned how to cope with leaving this narcissistic abusive relationship because of the situations that this person put me in and yeah. then having to go to the therapy to heal myself through that. And so yeah. it was like, 
fringe benefit, I guess, of the trauma <laughs> was that it helped me through the other trauma a little bit more. Yeah. And yeah. um, so when you when you speak about like really having that empathetic pull towards your clients, I totally get it because it's very intense to experience. So I can only imagine what that's like to witness it. But, you know, it, it's hard on the receiving or to be on the um, like the client side of a therapeutic relationship and also witness the person who's providing that care experience yeah. those emotions. And at the same time, you don't want to, at least in my experience and my, my feeling on it is I appreciate to some degree, you know, being able to see that empathetic response because yeah. it means that you're human. It means that you're there and you're present with me. And I feel like there's probably varying degrees to which you feel like you can express that. And what you were describing about kind of going home and, and shutting down and getting to that, as you call it, kind of little dissociative state. Do you see that as compartmentalization, essentially? No, not necessarily. I just like, so all therapists have their own like wind down type kind of thing that they do. And me working specifically with trauma, like when you hear the same types of stories every day, it can almost be like, this is happening to me. Mm -hmm. And especially like with my own trauma, it sometimes can hit a little bit too close to home. However, like I wouldn't have it any other way because a lot of the emotions that I've learned in my own therapy that I have towards my clients, yes, it's empathy, but a lot of it is also like pride and like mm -hmm. being super proud of my clients. It's just that I need time to understand what is real and not real. So I kind of think of it as like PETA from the Hunger Games. Like I've been like stung by tracker jackers like the whole entire time that I'm like in my office and then like I need to go home and have Katniss be like real or not real. And it's like that's basically like what it is. So I'll like turn on something that is obviously not real. Like I don't watch the news. I don't um you know, I get all the news and stuff like that for my husband. Like, I don't tell me the yeah. highlight reel. <laughs> yeah, because it's like I, and I mean, like I know there's a probably a whole bunch of people out there that are like you need to be informed. It's like you have no idea how informed I am on what's going on in this world, right? But it's like I also am like I need to separate when I come home and make sure, like I watch Brooklyn Nine Nine or Law and Order SVU or. Um, you know, I used to watch Grey's Anatomy, but that sent me into a major depressive episode like no other. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You, Meredith Grey. Um, <laughs> but I mean, like some of those shows that I watch, it's like I need to watch stuff that's obviously not real, that's mm -hmm. not happening. So that way, what I can do is I can be like, Becca, this isn't happening to you. Yeah. And you are, you're in a different place right now and sometimes I get like so zoned in on what I'm watching it's like it's funny because I have a routine like I come home I pet the cats and I make my dinner and then I get my dinner I sit on the couch I turn on the tv and I have a little bluetooth speaker like next to my thing so it's like the tv isn't too loud for my husband when he's playing the games and all that kind of stuff and then um, if he comes in to talk to me like there's some nights where he like has to get the remote and press pause and stand in front of me and be like, hello, are you there? Yeah. Because it's like, I'm so focused in on like resetting my brain afterwards. Yeah. There was a professor when I was in my master's program for counseling that said, never go to bed with your clients. And we're like, duh, Dr. Lewis, like, we're not going to go to bed with our clients. That's not a thing. And he's like, no, never think about your clients after you're done in the office. And that's a really hard thing to do when you become a therapist, because especially when you're an empath, because you think about your clients a lot and you're like, man, I really want them to do this and I want them to be well here and all that kind of stuff. So I just take like a different approach when it comes to that with my clients. I, I mean, I obviously like do separate. I don't think it's necessarily compartmentalizing because I think my clients play a big part in my healing journey as mm -hmm. well. And so it's, I don't think it's necessarily compartmentalizing. It's just allowing boundaries and knowing that like on in that spot, 
on my couch. Like this is my safe space. Yeah. And like, this is not my chair in my office. This is my chair in my house. Like I'm not going to see a client here. You know, Mm -hmm. like this is where I find peace is with my little speaker on my couch and I'm setting boundaries. I'm allowing boundaries and I'm allowing healing. And I think that's what, I think that's what really helps me kind of move forward is just having those boundaries. Yeah. Well, when you were saying that you can sometimes take those things on as a result of hearing it, especially repeatedly, especially if it's familiar. Um, I had done an episode with this woman, Jenny Hughes, who um, has an organization called Brave Providers and it helps um, basically people like you trauma therapists. It's it's a group of trauma therapists trying to deal with vicarious trauma. And one of the things that I really loved about that conversation. I mean, it was a, it was a really cool conversation to have because I have even more context, you know, for some of yeah. the things that you're talking about is that, you know, the idea of vicarious trauma is also coupled with the concept of vicarious resilience and this mm. this ability to as you said, kind of heal with your clients as they're healing. And yeah. I think that's just such an incredible display of the power of human connection because if we don't have that relatability or that type of support where you you feel seen, heard, and safe, like you said, then it is very difficult to get to a place of healing. We can't yes. we can't kind of get unstuck if we're mired down with this feeling of nobody understands me or I can't express myself. And so I from your perspective, when you're working with clients, how do you help them get comfortable with the conversation? If there's somebody who, I mean, obviously they've taken the first step, they're seeing you, right? right? But right. I know firsthand that it's an evolution, how you end up opening up to somebody. And oh yeah, I've I had moments that were kind of like violent shoves into you're saying this now because life is not going to let you not, you know? Yeah. So um, actually I kind of pride myself on like my opening sessions with my clients. Cause I feel like it's one of the things I'm pretty good at. I do show like my human beingness really well. Cause you know, you don't just like pick a day where you're like, Oh, Monday is the day where I'm only going to have new clients. And so I, you know, whatever it's like, I could have a client that I've been seeing for a year and a half right before I have a brand new client, you yeah. know? So like in my initial session, that I have with clients when they come into my office. So I have pictures all over my office. I actually just rearranged it because I was tired of a white wall behind me and all of my videos and all that kind of stuff. So I just like moved my desk backwards. Um, But I have like pictures of my cats and like I have my certificates and I'm obsessed with Winnie the Pooh. It's a problem. I'm fully aware. And I have like all of the hundred acre woods on the back of my couch. And I have like the map on the wall and everything. And so Sometimes when I see people are really anxious, I'll like call them out on it at first. I'll be like, you look really anxious. And they're like, yeah, I'm super anxious. And I'm like, that's okay. I'm like, take a minute, like look around, maybe find something on here on my walls or something that you want to talk about. And then they'll be like, is that your cats? And I'm like, yes. And I'm like, I tell them about my cats or something. And then I'm like, you know what, let me break the ice a little bit and maybe we can talk about what therapy is. And the people that are brand new to therapy that haven't done therapy before, they like really zone in. Okay. Can I pause you? Yeah. What is therapy? Oh my gosh. Stop it. Uh, You're going to make me think. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, like really what I tell them is like, Therapy is a place for you to become your authentic version of yourself, not the version of yourself that everyone else has ever wanted you to be. And so like, it's solely my job as a therapist to guide them to making their own decisions and actually trusting themselves enough to make their own decisions. So like therapy is not definable in a spreadsheet because everyone's experience is different and everyone's going to come out a different person because we're all unique individuals. I don't have treatment plans that are specific to each person. Now I might use like the same methods for people, but I mean, like I have a lot of people right now I'm doing mindful self-compassion. So I have like a lot of clients right now that I'm like, "Hmm, here's a workbook. Here's a workbook. Here's a workbook. And then I'm like, do it with me. Mindful self-compassion. And 
I have so many clients right now that are doing it. And then like one client that came to therapy today, (laughs) I was like, so did you do your workbook? And she goes, actually, I did two chapters. And I was like, whoa. And she was like, I decided to make you proud of me this week. (laughs) I was like, I'm proud of you every week. What the hell? Did you make Um, yourself proud, right? Like, I think that's part of it. And, and, you know, it's interesting. I asked you that question, I think, for what I would consider a fairly obvious reason, is that a lot of people very much misunderstand therapy. And yes. I love the way that you just described it because you're 100% right. It is different for everybody. The approach to it, the results that we get from it, the way that the approach to it from the therapist side and also the approach to it from your side. Like I went yeah. in and was basically like, I'm doing the work. And mm-hmm. I would joke around that I was winning therapy. That said, I think that it can be summed up really well by a text thread that I had with one of my best friends earlier today who had told me that um, her sister was starting therapy and she was really proud of her. And I said, oh, my gosh, I'm so proud of her, too. And she, you know, had said, I hope you have a helpful session. And I said, I Mm -hmm. really appreciate that you phrased it that way, because I usually say, I hope you have a productive session or, um, yes, it was a productive session. And both of us the word choice was very thoughtful because nobody's telling you to have a good session. Like, what Mm. does that even mean? What is a good session, right? Right. It's so subjective and good, I definitely think, is not always the feeling you come away from therapy with. So you're like, what is it that I'm seeking to get from it? It's like, I hope that I get something from the therapy session every week. And that's a productive session or that's a helpful session. And so I think if we... um, you know, as you were saying, it's kind of the the choice of language in certain ways where it's like, you're not going to serve everybody the same way. People aren't going to receive what you're doing the same mm-hmm. way. So it really is, you know, as much as it is the science of psychology and just human beings in general, right? It, it's also a lot of emotional intelligence that requires you to adjust and create Mm -hmm. variety based on what you see and what you're receiving from your clients. And I think that that is probably a really understated part of what it is to be a therapist. Well, I think the miscommunication about what therapy really is, is from like the generation that raised millennials. Um, Yeah, because it's like, you know, part of my story is that my parents were extremely uneducated when it came to mental health. And so growing up, like I can look back now and I can know that I had anxiety when I was a kid, but you know, one of the first panic attacks that I really remember was in sixth grade, we had to do standardized testing. And I just remember like taking the test and I was sitting in the front row of the classroom and I'm like doing the tests and all this kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden I was like, Oh my God, I'm going to throw up. And I just like got so like sick feeling. And I just remember like raising my hand and asking the teacher if I could go to the bathroom because I was about to throw up. And that was like a thing that you weren't supposed to do during standardized testing is leave obviously. Mm -hmm. And so I was standing like in the bathroom stall as the sixth grader, like, standing in front of the toilet because I'm scared to throw up. And so it's like, I was like hitting my chest and like getting really anxious. And I, the principal came into the bathroom, I'm crying and I'm like, no, I didn't throw up, but I don't feel good. And then it's like, there's no proof that anything's wrong with me because I didn't throw up. So I'm not sick. Right. Yep. And so my mom called the doctor and the doctor ended up putting me on acid reflux medicine because it was a stomach problem. Right. Yeah. And then it's like, I get older and I was in like eighth grade, maybe. Yeah. I think I was in eighth grade and I'm like, man, my heart beats really, really fast. And it's like at these really weird times, but I'm not paying attention to what I'm thinking about when my heart is beating really, really fast. Because we weren't taught to do that, Becca. Exactly. And so like my mom takes me to the doctor again, they put me on a heart monitor for two days. And so then I'm lugging around a VHS tape 
for like, you know, in eighth grade, which is great. And then I had to have a log log to, you know, log when I shot. And so it was like every eighth grader is like, oh my God, she's dying. And I'm like, no, I'm not dying. I'm just, I don't know what's wrong with me. And so I didn't know what mental health was until I went to college. I was asked to go to therapy when I was a freshman in college because I was found um, after not eating for five days. I had passed out on the floor in um, the um, control room. And so I was like, they were like, Becca's not eating. And so we, she needs to talk to someone about this. So I went to the therapist and we ended up talking about some things, but he was a real sketch dude. Like, and this is, goes to tell you, if you have a bad therapy experience, it's not therapy. Sometimes it's the therapist. Right? I'm glad that you said that because yes. it's so true. And I think that's definitely been the deterrent for a lot of people in my life who yes. are like, I know I should be in therapy, but I tried it and it was, and it, it wasn't, it didn't work or I didn't like the person. It's like, okay, yeah. but then you have so many resources at your disposal now to do research, vet people. And by the yeah. way, you can go for a session or two or multiple and then decide the person's not right for you. Nobody's keeping you there yes. except you. Yes. I tell my clients in the first session that if they don't feel comfortable with me to tell me because I'm humble enough to know that I'm not the therapist for everyone, mm -hmm. um, like, you know, it, that's just how it goes. But, you know, in my experience, I went to therapy. University of the Ozarks did a really classy thing after <laughs> my freshman year of college when they switched presidents and they, decide that they decided that they didn't want to have therapy as an on-campus option anymore because college students didn't need therapy. And um, then they were like, well, if you feel like you need to go to therapy and you want the university to pay for it, then you can go to the community clinic. But you have to tell your resident advisor and then like what's going on with you in the dorm. And then they determine whether or not you need to go to therapy. Um, sorry, hold on one second. Um, was your college like my college where your resident advisor is just another student? Yeah, basically. Yes. Yes. So what, the like, fuck is, what, the, what qualification do they have? They don't. And so like I kept my mouth shut and I didn't like I didn't go to therapy for the rest of college or anything like that. And then guess where that led Becca? Like I ended up going down such a rabbit hole and dude, I dated like the worst human being that ever existed in the history of all human beings. He ended up breaking up with me because obviously he couldn't like, you know, <laughs> do illegal things in prison when he was with someone that was keeping him accountable. And so it just didn't work out for him. And he had like five more years to go. So it was like, why would he want to stay with someone that was keeping him accountable? Why and would so you want to stay with somebody who's got five more years? Dude, I was desperate. Okay. Like, oh, I fucking feel it. I mean, it was more of a rhetorical <laughs> question. Trust me. I, I could, I'm asking myself those same exact questions. It was, it was not prison, oh, yeah. but it was like prison. It was a relationship that was prison esque. I, it was such a, an experience. And he broke up with me two months before I graduated from college. And it, it sent me in this like real suicidal spiral. And that was extremely difficult for me to get out of my best friends that I had at the time. I had two male best friends and one of them slept with me and then like stopped talking to me. And then the other one like was like, well, if you slept with him, then you have to sleep with me. And I was like, no, I don't want to. And then he stopped talking to me. And so then I like told one of them, I'm about to go back to my apartment and kill myself. And then like waited in my kitchen for like 30 minutes just for anyone to show up to stop me from killing myself. And no one did. But at that point I was like, okay, maybe I don't want this. I don't know. I texted an old friend from high school and I was like, maybe I don't want this. And I got out of that, but it wasn't until so many other things happened. And I, after I graduated from college, I was still hung up on my ex and I was like, he did this because he cares about me. Like he broke up with me because he wanted what was best for me. He didn't want me held back by prison and all this kind of stuff. Like he was being nice to me. And so I was still holding him up on a pedestal. And then I ended up becoming a youth minister after college. And I was 
in a church for nine months. That was awful. They treated me with like such disrespect. And when um, I was in that place, I had no friends. Again, really in my head, got suicidal, went on a date with this guy and ended up getting sexually assaulted and then didn't tell anyone about it. And this was my reasoning for not telling anyone about it was because he was a middle school teacher and I didn't want to ruin his life. That was literally my reasoning for it. And so I just was like, I'm going to try and compartmentalize as much as possible. And I I tried, but apparently I wasn't doing a good job. And so the church decided to put me on a mental health leave, saying that I couldn't be around people until I figured stuff out. And so I went to go see a therapist and he was literally the best therapist that I've ever had in my whole entire life. And I love the therapist that I have right now, but he's the one that got me out of the funk that I was in. He was the only therapist that I had that encouraged me to get back together with my ex. Literally, he was like, you should do it 101%. He sounds like a stand-up dude. And I'm like, yes, finally, someone in my life that tells me I should get back together with him. So I put money on the phone (laughs) so my ex could call me. And I talked to him for like an hour and a half. And um, he is in work release at that point. And he goes... And he's like, well, I'm in work release. I'm making a lot of money at the chicken factory now. So I'll put money on the phone. I'll call you next weekend. And I'm like, finally, I've spent five grand on phone calls and visits and all this kind of stuff in this relationship. Now he is going to pay for it. This shows how much he loves me. I literally waited for four weekends in a row for him to call me back. And he never called me back. And so I went to my therapist after four weeks and I said, Man, I think I'm just done. I think it's just done. He never called. And my therapist says, what? What? I thought this dude was such a great guy. He's like, why? Why Why didn't it work out? What? What's going on? And I was like, you son of a bitch. You set me up so I can make my own decision. Like, what a dick. And so that was like, after that, I quit my job at um, the church and then moved back home, he encouraged me to become a therapist. And then that was really what was the pivotal moment for me at that point. And like understanding that I could become a therapist and I could be there for someone because my story was so big and it had so many parts. And I understand what it's like to have suicidal thoughts. I know what it's like to go through assaults and have peer pressure and church pressure and church trauma and family trauma and all of these other things. And so I think it has been helpful for sure. And it it kind of just led me on that path. Anyways, I went on a rant. That's what that's how ADD works for you guys. Well, hey, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm also familiar with that. Now, yeah. something that you just said that I want to come back to is that part of what you felt could make you a good therapist was that your story is so big. Mm. And that's an important one for me to ask about because a big part of what I struggled with, with my ex was that she had, it's so hard to summarize. So I'm going to give like a very, very cliff notes version. When we met, um, I was told that there had been some form of sexual assault. As time went on, there um, were like drips and drabs of that. There was more than that. There were these other things that were happening. What ultimately was true and not true, I honestly have no idea. I assume based on the things that she's done as a human being and the way that she handles life or doesn't handle life, that there is some truth to it. Like I'm not denying that. Um, my own experiences were that like, I found her in an alleyway outside of a bar where we were looking like she had been raped. And I am pretty confident that she was trying to get drugs from somebody. And this was part of like a whole different life that I was unaware of. And the reason I believe that is because of a, a series of other events of like alleged abductions that didn't make right. any sense and all these other things. So it's like, she would always come back to this that she didn't remember anything that was happening because she was dissociative. The therapist that I mentioned who did perform in DR well really allowed my ex to triangulate and like create a bond between them and make me out to be the bad person. And I'm saying all this for context because the thing that drove me crazy 
the entire time, besides the gaslighting, which will just inevitably drive you crazy. Oh, yeah. It is she constantly would say things like, I have a target on my back. All of these things always happen to me and this and that. And it's like, I'm not somebody who victim blames or shames. I understand the severity of it. When I thought that she had genuinely been assaulted when I was with her, whether again, that was true or not, I like head first dove into like, how do I help people who have been sexually assaulted? How do I advocate for people? How do I change things? How do I, you know, activate? And it's like, but she like wallowed in whatever experiences she did have that kind of cultivated this mindset of I'm a perpetual victim. It's like, that's not a sustainable life either. And and the thing that I admire about what you said is that you are proof positive that, you know, we are not the sum of the things that we experience that was a weird way of saying it, but like the sum of our traumas does not make us a less worthy or capable human being. In fact, if you channel the outcome of that trauma into something that you're passionate about, like you clearly are Becca, then like, look at how much opportunity lays in front of you. And there's so many people with stories like this that makes it really difficult to kind of rationalize the type of behavior that allows somebody to stay down. Um, and to feel like they can't be helped. Um, From your perspective, having gone through everything that you've gone through, do you feel like there were moments that you were like, okay, I mean, you obviously had your low lows of feeling suicidal. Were there moments where you felt like there's no way out of this Um, and and that you were kind of trapped in that trauma? And how did you ultimately get to a place where you found a path to healing that you felt like you could consistently stay on? So actually, pause for the cause. I'm going to go to my fun little notebook over here. I'm going to grab a piece of paper. And I'm going to share something with you that's crazy. Thank you. Okay. Also, henceforth, okay. I'm using the phrase pause for the cause. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, <laughs> so when I was with my ex, um, one thing that I used to do with him is I would draw pictures And of like song lyrics, because, you know, in prison, you're really limited on what you can send. And um, in when I was dating with him, there was a song that came out by Rachel Platten that was called I'm Gonna Stand By You. I love that song. Oh, yeah. And so like, I don't know if you like really thought about how fucked up the lyrics are. Um, But I started writing this on this piece of paper. And it says, put your empty hands in mine and scars, show me all the scars you hide. If your wings are broken, please take mine so yours can open too, because I'm going to stand by you. Even if we're breaking down, we can find a way to break through. Even if we can't find heaven, I'll walk through hell with you. Love, you're not alone, because I'm going to stand by you. And so I wrote that portion of the song, literally just that portion. And I was like, you know, it would make this even better because I, I felt like the spacing wasn't right. I was like, you know, what would make this card even better is if I wrote down things that I'm willing to sacrifice in order to be with him. Okay. So on the back of this, I started brainstorming and I put promises, let go of any ideal situations, sacrifice my happiness, be silent when needed, show your strength, um, show you your strength not let you give up and remind you how smart you are. Then I was like, well, shit, if I'm going to sacrifice all of those things and make those promises, then I'm going to put down things that he needs to do. So I put, remind me that I'm worth more than this. Believe that you can get through this. Do everything you can for me within your limits and treat me like I should be. Talk about our future. Out of all of those things that I asked, and wanted him to do, I'm thinking to myself, like, dude, he should already be doing this. Yeah. Like, these are really, like, common things that a person should be doing. Like, remind me I'm worth more than this. Dude, I'm driving to prison every single weekend to see you. If you're not reminding me that I'm worth more than this, then that's some bullshit, right? Oh, my God. And so then I'm, like, starting to reflect on how fucked up this is. And I wrote on the back, I said, I can't be perfect. And I need to know that's okay. Sometimes I feel like I'm not putting forth effort because I'm trying to show you how much it hurts me when you don't put forth the effort. We used to live through a letter every other week. 
And now we have more, but I feel like we have less. I don't want to bring it up though, because this program is hard for you and I don't want to make it worse. You've changed, but I don't want to admit it and I can't handle it. I'm not happy and I don't know how to fix that. And I dated this piece of paper two weeks before he broke up with me. Oh man, Becca. Um, Can we do a little bit of a retrospective exchange because this is what I was reading last night. There are several of these. I'm going to try to find the one that feels like the the most appropriate. It's funny because you realize like when you write that, it shows you that you know what you're experiencing and what you're going through. And what they've done is build distrust in your own self. Like you said, Mm -hmm. Um, it's just like, oh man, this is so, so surreal. Okay. Let me see. I think this one probably, okay. This is referring to that moment in the alley I was referring to. It feels really surreal. Like I don't want to go back there to that moment in time and look at it because it hurts too much. I feel fragile. Like if I go back and think about it, I'll never come out of it. It hurts so much to think about it, to know it's real, to know it's true, to have questions and feel so unsure about the details, to feel how absolutely terrifying it was for me and for her, how we can't believe it's our lives, our stories. And sometimes I feel like I place the blame on her as if she somehow brought this on herself. And I know that means I have doubts about the validity of things. It's terrifying to wonder and not know and not be able to know. It's just such a burden to hold for myself and for someone else. And I know I'm not supposed to carry it for anyone else, but I can't help it. I feel so entrenched in her life and the pain and the struggle that I can't imagine how she feels. I can't let her be alone in that. Maybe it doesn't make sense. Maybe it's the wrong thing to do. But to place myself in those life-threatening, terrifying situations, I don't think I would be the way she is. I don't think I could go on like that because I can barely witness her going on this way. It's just heartbreaking and gut-wrenching to watch at the same time. It's like we are aware, right? Like what you're pointing out is that when you were in these situations, you understand in a lot of cases. It's not always immediate, but like this went on for years for me. I understand what's happening and I'm like simultaneously trying to process my trauma while justifying that I need to be there to support her. Right. And you're like, so I'm going to continue to traumatize myself. It was like, you're writing out how you feel. You're like, I am processing this. And that's part of it too, is I kind of feel like looking back on this now, it's hard. It's really, really hard to read it and see how much you sacrifice of yourself when you do that. But I also feel like, In a way, I am proud of myself. And this is a very big transition from how I used to feel about it because I still have like, I still want to kick myself in the pants a little bit about (laughs) staying for so long. But like, I appreciate that I wasn't as naive Mm. and oblivious as I felt when I first left because- I felt a lot of guilt and a lot of shame and accountability. And at the same time, you know, what you're talking about is this need to be gentle with ourselves and show grace to ourselves. Right. And sometimes I think as much as I have these moments where I'm like, I should just delete all this. Like, why do I have it? The other part Mm -hmm. of me is like, I think it's good to come back to it sometimes. I don't want to do that frequently, but It shows me that, you know, you said earlier, well, if there's no physical proof, right? How did it happen? Well, with mental health, this is how it happens. We find ways to communicate it, whether that's being shared with somebody else or not. So I really applaud the fact that you held on to that, that it's something that you have available to reference and something that gives you, you know, perspective on how far you've come from those situations. Yeah, you know... I actually, this is the only thing that I kept from the relationship. Um, I remember, like, I remember a lot of stuff from that relationship, as you know, like, it can definitely be intrusive sometimes, right? And I think, like, probably the most intrusive part about it is knowing that it's most likely not intrusive for the other person, which is really annoying, right? (laughs) Um, But this is the only thing I kept. One of the things that I remember, like... I was very into Nicholas Sparks when we were dating and I thought that this was like a Nicholas Sparks story waiting to happen. Oh, we were going to be reunited and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, even if we break up, we'll get back together and X, Y, Z will happen and we'll still have all the letters. I fucking shredded that shit, man. I shredded all the pictures. I shredded all the letters. Oh, I had a wedding album, wedding albums that I threw out. I was like, 
literally what I'm not going to go look at that and be like, oh, the good times. Like, no, this was a shit show. And that was fake. It's the only thing like I kept this piece of paper. But then one thing that I had noticed that I had kept that I didn't realize that I had kept is I like went into my Dropbox and I just like searched his name on Dropbox and then realized that I had all these journal entries that I had written in Microsoft Word, kind of like similar to what you had experienced. And then I literally printed it all out, deleted it off of my computer, deleted it off the server, deleted everything, took it to my therapist and was like, hang on to this. And I kept that stuff in her cabinet for a year. And until I was like, I'm ready to use this to make a difference with, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to make some sort of difference with it. Cause I mean, there's even stuff that I wrote like a couple days after we got together where I was like, my life sucks. I don't want to be there. I hate this, but I'm probably going to get a letter from him tomorrow and everything will be better. Oh my God. Those are the things that are like, it just runs and runs and runs in your mind. And so here's the thing. If you're considering therapy because you have gone through something and you have been told that therapy is this thing where therapists are going to implant in your mind what you're supposed to think. I love that you're saying this. Yes. Okay. So get ready. Here comes rant, Becca. This is what my father thinks, by the way. Okay. Um, Actually, side note, ADD moment. My father always says that he just takes all of his shit, shoves it in a box and puts it in the back of the closet. And a couple of years ago, they did some reno stuff at our house and they cut out the back of their closet to expand the room on the other side. And I said, Hey dad, what'd you do with all your trauma? He did not appreciate that. Well, um, it, it fits with analogy that I like to give, which is that if you keep shoving it under your bed, eventually that shit's going to come out. Like, yeah. so, you know, you yes. can't keep pushing all of it under. I mean, like you're going to run out of space to put all this <laughs> stuff. And here's the thing about therapy. If you really think that a therapist is there to make you think to, oh my gosh, what's the word that's so popular Indoctrinate. Right now on Fox? Yes, indoctrination. I live in fucking Arkansas. I'm so tired of hearing that goddamn word. Anyways, but I, I just like... <laughs> if you think that a therapist is trying to make you think something, that's not what therapy is. Therapy is literally, I am mirroring what you are saying. So you hear it. So you heal from it. And then we find ways to help you cope with it. Like when I do EMDR, I'm not doing EMDR as this method for you to get over your trauma. I'm doing EMDR as a method for you to figure out what the fuck we need to work on. Mm-hmm. Like that's really what it comes down to. I want to know what we have to do to get you to the top of that mountain where you feel more comfortable. Yeah, you have to and, peel back the layers. And, you yes. know, one of the things that you just said that I think is super important to call out is like so many people think that a therapist is going to like parrot to you what you, you know, need to hear or what they want you to hear instead of really understanding. And frankly, as somebody who was a huge skeptic before I was in therapy and frankly, really needing therapy more than I even needed it when I started it, like I understand the best part of a therapy session is the moment when you're saying it and you hear yourself say it and recognizing this is what I needed to realize. Yeah, This is the moment I needed to have. Then to see, you know, on, on my side of as a client, to witness a therapist be like, yes, you got there. Like, you know, yes. and, and to have that gratitude for those moments and to share space with somebody who has witnessed you on that journey is really profound. Yeah. I. I love to celebrate with my clients and I'm also like fully aware that because I take clients with PTSD and a lot of them have like that deep, deep years long trauma that like we might not get there overnight, but they want to get there overnight, you know, like I'm like as fast as we possibly can, please. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, no, 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 calm, calm the fuck down. I get circled Um, back a lot. Why don't we come back to that? I'm like, yeah. Therapists are not going to tell you what to think. They're just going to remind you like half the times when I'm telling these clients like, no, this is what it is that you're struggling with. We've already talked about it. Mm -hmm. It's just that they're fighting against it. And in one of the therapy modalities that I use the phrase, I love this, what you resist persists. I knew you were going to say that. I almost said it. (laughs) 
<laughs> I know. I love it so much. You got so excited. I appreciate that. But it's so funny because the reason why I didn't break up with my ex, even though I thought about it many, many times, is for the smallest thing. The Maroon 5 had just redone Al Green's Let's Stay Together, and it was on the Top 40 radio station. And so every time I would get in my car, it'd be like, let's stay together. And I'm like, oh, it's a sign. I'm supposed to stay with him, you know? And it's like, I'm supposed to suffer and I'm supposed to be miserable. That's what I'm supposed to do because it makes him happy. He's the one in prison. I'm just living my life over here, you know? Yeah. And it's like, we tell ourselves these lies over and over and over again. So you go to therapy and you have someone, when people tell me these things, I'm never like, hmm bad dude break up with him i'm like um what about that makes you attracted to that person i mean really great question because that's the thing right a big part of getting to where i am now was i came to this much needed realization that in feeling needed i felt wanted yes and it's like oh cool so that's what i've been hinging a decades-long relationship on with somebody who doesn't really seem to give a shit about me and right it's like because Every time I would get close to breaking up, something traumatic would happen again and then again and then again. And so you get trapped into that and just the ability to like see what I had written and and look at it and be like, I felt hurt and scared and I feel pain and no sense of self. It's like ding, 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 red flags, get out. And that's the thing is these things would keep happening, but it keeps you in a state of hypervigilance and anxiety. And so it's hard to have the peace of mind and the distance that you need to be able to come to those conclusions too. So especially if you're not talking to somebody, if you're not in therapy and you're dealing with that too, like it's really hard to get out of a psychologically abusive relationship. It's really difficult. I feel like separation was a big thing for me, but I think my husband was honestly a big healing factor for me in that relationship too. I mean, like it's, he's such a nugget and I always talk about how amazing of a human being he is because he deserves all the credit for all the, all the good things. But dude, he brought me out of that. And I know that there has been some times that have, it's been a lot for him, you know, like I get that too. I mean, my mom passed away at the same time that I was leaving this situation and my wife has been like the rock star of all rock stars. And you know what though? I think I'm um, definitely a believer in the idea of divine timing and synchronicities, um, such as yeah. having this conversation when I was dealing with the shit that I was dealing with last um, night. Why am I looking at this right now? Why is this coming to mind? Why does this have to be what I'm thinking about right now? And I was like, because you're going to talk about it today. Because you were about to talk to Becca and Becca is an incredible therapist and I'm yeah. just going to, I'm going to fix everything, obviously. Yeah, yeah, um, naturally. <laughs> but I mean, like, I think here's the thing is what you have read, what I have read, what other people have read and written and talked about and held. And you, if you just keep holding all of these things all the time and you don't talk about it and you don't open up about it and you don't process it, then it's still going to be there, you Mm -hmm. know, and it's just going to fester. And it's not, you know, here's the number one thing that I've learned, like in the past couple months that I think has been the most important part for my healing journey. I'm about to let you into the secret of life over here. So, you know, come closer. But I learned, you know, we learn about fight, flight and freeze and the window of tolerance. And even though like I, I had my ex and I had the abusive youth minister, I had all this family trauma and all this other stuff happen. One of the things that has affected me the most was losing my kitten when she was three months old. And like her dying unexpectedly was one of the worst traumas that I went through. I feel like for me, because I was so attached to actually being able to take care of something that loved me. And it was so big. And sometimes I get into my head and I just have such a problem processing that. And a couple weeks ago, I'm sitting on my couch and I get into that moment where I'm like, man, I really miss Canon. And then I realized like I was trying to fight what I was feeling like, Becca, don't feel that Becca, don't feel that. And then I tried to remember all the times that I've grieved for her. And then I remembered, I fucking haven't. And I think a lot of people think that when we go through 
fight or flight and we're surviving. And then we go through freeze when we're dissociating that grief is within freeze and it is not. Grief is inside of our window of tolerance. And the reason why we don't want to be inside the window of tolerance is not because we don't want to be calm, cool, collected, and connected. It's because we have such a hard time facing ourselves because we don't want to spend time with ourselves. When we're in fight, flight, freeze, we don't have to spend time with ourselves. When we're in the window, we do. And grief exists inside that window. And grief is such an incredible fucking thing, dude. It's like this freeing experience that I've never had. Being able to like, losing Canon was so difficult for me because it was so unexpected and it hurt so bad. And I had so much anger and so, so much hurt. But the thing is like, I, I truly feel like I can let go and know that I did the best that I could in the situation with the resources that I had. And you have done the best that you could with the resources that you had. And we can look back at it and we can examine and we can say, this is evidence that I should have been doing something or I should have left. Or we can look at it and say, this is evidence of the resilient motherfucker that got through this shit. I am taking this and I'm using this to make a difference in my life. I'm not allowing this person to destroy me anymore. This person doesn't have that power. And that is grief. That is healing and that is connecting that calm, cool, collected and connected individual inside of the window of tolerance is grief and a constant state of grieving. Grieving is not wearing a black dress or a black blazer and going to a funeral. Grieving is understanding that you are a human fucking being and you deserve to be a human fucking being and you don't have to fit into anyone else's box. So there you go. You can tell I was behind a pulpit at one point in time in my career, but at this moment in time, I'm trying to tell you y'all grieve, just grieve, allow yourself to feel these feelings. And then with with that, yes, emotions surf. And then, you know, it won't, persist anymore because you're not resisting shit it's gonna hurt dude like this shit's gonna hurt but it's gonna hurt either way and the thing is is you know i've adopted a philosophy of i'd rather be uncomfortable now Mm -hmm. than in perpetuity and really this was very much the result of what i experienced and just being in a constant state of discomfort because of the traumatic response that I had become so accustomed to, by the way, that I didn't really understand what it felt like to be at peace until I did allow myself to grieve. And because I lost my mom at the same time that I was going through this horrible divorce that ended in a physical assault, it was like, I couldn't grasp how little I actually was able to grieve the loss of my mom because I was so focused on trying to get this other stuff out of my life. and. I love that you said that. I think it's such a beautiful way to round out the episode because it hits close to home. I think that making that distinction too about feeling your feelings versus analyzing your feelings is important. It was something that I didn't understand until I was in therapy that I was really good at doing because I'm an emotional person. I'm an empath. I'm emotional. Obviously, I'm feeling my feelings. And it's like, no, you're talking about your feelings objectively while you analyze them. That's not the same thing as feeling your feelings. I'm like, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I thought that that was not going to be something we had to cover. <laughs> you know? Well, um, it's definitely therapy is surprising, man. And I, I mean, I'm so glad that I could talk with you about this. It seriously is like, I don't ever talk about this shit, man. I really don't. I've found going on like podcasts and talking about this stuff has been such an interesting experience. I always like am pulling out a new story every single time I'm talking to someone. I love it. And it's like this one, I feel like it's almost, it was just so natural, like how it came up and knowing that like, oh, wow, there's going to be people that might listen to this that I grew up with, or he might listen to this or something like that. I mean, I had that moment too, you know, it's interesting because you don't know. And at the end of the day, like, we're not the ones who have to be accountable for that. We're speaking our truth. And I think that that's the best thing that we can do Mm -hmm. to honor ourselves. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is amazing. Oh my gosh. I just had lots of fun. Becca, you are such an amazing human. I love your vibe. I love the energy that you brought and the education that you brought and doing it in a way that is so, as I said at the beginning, very approachable, very accessible and really meaningful. You know, you cut to the core of these really difficult to discuss topics. I appreciate it. I feel like I am humbled by your willingness and vulnerability to share the things that you've shared. And I'm just glad oh. that we've we've formed this connection and been able to share um, our stories together and that we've been able to spend time on this episode. So you can learn more about Becca's practice at BeccaFergusonLPC.com. And Becca, I think you mentioned that you also have an online course that you yeah. have available. Is it is it available now? Yeah. So I actually have, I have four online mini courses. One of them is on the window of tolerance. So if you want to learn more about trauma, there's an online mini course. It's only 27 bucks. I'm actually going to give y'all 10% off discount code um, for all of the who the fuck people. I'm also adding on these virtual coaching programs that will be across state lines. So if you want to do more stuff, I'm having one on self-esteem, religious trauma, and mindful self-compassion will be coming next year. So oh, that's amazing. Um, if yeah. you guys want to hop into that, then let's do it. Awesome. I'm excited to put all of those links in the show notes and then direct people to your social profiles as well. I'm super grateful for this conversation. Thank you so much. And we will catch you on the flip side. Thanks for listening to Who the Fuck. And if you like what you hear, share the show with your friends, family, coworkers, or anyone else you think needs a healthy dose of introspection and raw authenticity. Feel free to rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. It's always appreciated. And you can also visit whothefck.com to check out more content. Plus, you can follow me on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at whothefck underscore pod to keep up to date with what's new in my world and for exclusive bonus content. Catch you on the flip side. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Electricast. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. Oh, that's just it? No, that's just my dad. My name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels again with a big hole. Touchdown! On this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric acid.